Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring you the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce industry. That being said, this episode, like everyone before this and uh, other 204 episodes before us, is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments is helping sellers and entrepreneurs grow by sending uh, funds internationally, whether it's sending or receiving, helping you save time, money, and effort. How are they doing that? Well, when you pay out your VAs, your suppliers, your manufacturers, you're paying fees all the time when it comes from your bank account. Every time that you're growing your business to get more supplies or to pay out those virtual assistants, if you will, you don't want to pay those extra absorbent fees. That's why ping pong payments helps you with that regards. If you're receiving funds from all over the world, whether it be a directed consumer or on Amazon, helping receive those funds and not paying those transaction fees or those conversion fees, if you will, if you're receiving funds from all over the world, check out ping pong payments. It's free to use and free to sign up. So go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast to sign up for free and catch all of our previous episodes that have gone on live. Um, but speaking of live, if you're watching us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, thanks for joining us today on another episode. If this is your first time or your 205th, we appreciate you tuning in just for a little bit of the time today. Because this is a live show, if you're watching us, you can actually ask your questions. Let us know where you're watching from live in the comment section below. If you're listening to us at a later time, Feel free to ask your questions and just tag our guest. Um, no problem there. We'll make sure that you get your questions answered and put you in the right direction of how to contact them as well. That being said, thank you for joining us in two, episode 205. I have a great lineup. I call it my D week because every guest it seems to start with the letter D, which is super funny and fascinating and how things work out. That's how 2022 is already this year is how things work out. We're going to go with the flow. But I'm really excited today because it's taking a little bit of a departure from just Amazon focus um, that we normally do on the show and working more into the direct-to-consumer side of things. Our guest today, his name is David Perry, and he is from the company Caro, where he helped co-found or found it. Um, it's now a new partnership network by over 30,000 Shopify brands. But what's really cool is the background of where he previously comes, obviously from the gaming world and selling a business to... A, com a little company called uh, Sony PlayStation, you might have heard of them, selling a company to them and help them grow their network in that regard. So we're going to be actually marrying the two, how gaming kind of pervades to e-commerce today and what I like to call um, how e-commerce, excuse me, like the interest dated, what you can learn from e-commerce brands, learning from the video game industry. So that being said, I'm going to shut up and let our guest and welcome on to our guest from Crossover on Crossover Commerce for the first time, David Perry of Caro. David, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. Thanks for inviting me. This is going to be fun. I've been looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Well, I kind of like spoiled the surprise, obviously, from where you're coming from. But let me, give me a little bit of background on yourself before uh, we we jumped here on live. Um, you were giving me your background and your exciting nature of the business you're in. But from your mouth to the public, what is who you are and uh, maybe like where you uh, how do you arrive to where you are today? Well, I, I actually, um, I, you know, I was kind of lucky. I got into the video game industry when things were really getting going um, in the early 80s. Not, not in the very, very start when they were like, you know, coming up with a concept of what is a game. But, right. um, but in the early 80s, you know, the games I was making were black and white. Uh, you know, the, there was no music. It was beep, 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 that kind of stuff. And so the old Ataris, days, right? 
It, well, it was actually I was in the United Kingdom, so I grew up in Northern Ireland. Imagine I'm I'm in Ireland, and they have something called the the Sinclair ZX81. Um, over here, it was the Timex Sinclair 1000, and it was this little 1K computer. Uh, 1K is so funny these days, like that. We right. read a whole game in that, and you know, today I don't know an icon is 16K. Um, so it's it's kind of funny um, what we what we squeezed out of these machines, but. The concept was, you know, it, in Ireland, there's a kind of a joke, which is it only rained twice this week, once for three days and once for four days. So, you know, anything that you can do in, inside is a good thing. And, and making games turned out to be a lot of fun for me. So I, I got them published in magazines and um, and I didn't realize that you actually get paid to make games. So, so I got a check in the mail and I didn't even have a bank account to cash it into. And I, I literally was like, wait, hold on a minute. You can get paid to do this. And so I started making lots of games. In those days, games were, um, were being sold in, in, in some stores, but not many. A lot of them were in magazines and books. So you had to type them in yourself. And, um, and so I ended up getting published in books and ended up doing my own book at the time. And so that, was, that seemed to be my journey. But then I got offered a job to move to England and actually join the game industry seriously. So I was in high school. Um, imagine you're in high school, never completed um, my studies. Then I had to make a decision to just get up and leave and move to England. And all my teachers were like, you've lost your mind. Like, what the heck is the video game industry? It's the dumbest idea ever. It's like, you know, it's not going to be around for long. Um, and so it, it was tough, but I, I left and I ended up making games. What I learned was that um, brands matter. And so um, one of the first uh, big games I got to work on was one uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And when you make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game, it goes straight to number one because of the branding. And uh, right. it's a bit like it's a hit driven industry, much like uh, movies and music. So when you have a number one hit, then people want to work with you. And so I found that throughout my career, every time I got attached to to brands, um, you know, my career would take a huge step forward. And um, and then I could use that money to do some fun stuff that I wanted to do. And then I would go back <laughs> to another branded game. Um, when I was uh, in England, I got offered the Terminator from Orion Pictures. And it was kind of funny because in the old days, they didn't really think about games. So there was no plan. Um, it was kind of like it, it was the equivalent of a coffee cup to them. Do you want to put the Terminator on a coffee cup? Do you want to make a video game? The same thing. So we would say, okay, we want to be the Terminator in the video game. And and the the movie studio was like, you can't have the rights to the Terminator. You, you know, you can't. We don't have Arnold Schwarzenegger's signature to do that. So right. no. <laughs> but wait, hold on. We're making the game, and we can't have the Terminator in it. Um, and then they said, uh, you know, we don't have uh, the rights to Sarah Connor either, um, Linda Hamilton. So, you know, it was just it, back in those days, it just wasn't great, that the, the sort of support of Hollywood. Um, but we went ahead and made a game starring a guy that dies in the movie, Kyle Reese, which is a pretty, pretty funny example. But ultimately, then things started to change because the people that started to take control of, of, the, of Hollywood and the entertainment industry grew up with video games. And so they had played in arcades. They understood, you know, they knew what Pac-Man was and they actually started to really understand why games matter. And, um, and we get offered um, Aladdin from Disney at one point. And um, that was uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg at the time was the head of, of the studios. And he basically 
um, gave us the full feature animation support of of Disney. So imagine wow. you're making your video game and you have Disney animation doing your animation. It's insane. And and the music was all authentic and everything. And so that's that was sort of a, a turning point, I think, where we our expectation was we want more support. And so um, to cut a long story short, the last uh, major one I did was The Matrix uh, with the Wachowskis, and that was at Peak Matrix. Um, and that Back was in the 90s and early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was right when Reloaded was coming out, and it was a big deal. Um, and so I had fun with all of that, but I, I started to get interested in how the business was changing. So video games was very much you you paid for your game and you would play it. So I call it the money wall. We would create a money wall. There'd be a certain amount of money you had to pay to play someone's game. Let's call it $60 or $50. Um, if you can't afford that, then you can't play the game. Um, and if you could afford way more than that, you know, we don't care. So sometimes uh, people would buy a game for $60 or $50 and then play it for hundreds and hundreds of hours. And somebody else would... Um, would buy the game and play it for one hour and they'd both pay the same for it. And uh, it just, none of it made any sense to me. Um, and what I was watching was over in Asia, um, things were going free to play, uh, this idea that you, you can pay what you can afford. And it was just fascinating to watch how much money they were generating um, from those games. And so that business model was one that I wanted to learn more about just to understand. And I sort of kept giving speeches about, you know, is anyone paying attention to what's going on in, in Asia? And I flew out there and in a bunch of the meetings, they were like, you know, you guys are the first Westerners to ever visit us. Um, and and it was it was just really interesting to learn. But but ultimately, you can see that that started to really impact the West, which is what I was trying to say. And and I think there are you know the game that like the Clash Royale and, and games like that that are making literally billions of dollars are using those models. Um, but business is is um, is definitely something that that uh, I was constantly trying to work out where is where is this whole thing heading, and I have this concept um, on how to sort of think forward. So whatever your whatever industry you're in, you, you keep sort of asking yourself. What would I do to beat that? What would I do to okay? If I did that, what would I do to beat that? If I did that, what would I do to beat that? And um, and one of the problems that they were having in Asia was getting people to just get into the game as effortlessly as possible. Like, the, what's the lowest friction way to get a game running? And it turns out, um, in some games, I would do demonstrations of you know it was thirty seven clicks and and you had to print something out and give them your mother's maiden name. And uh, I, you know, the audience would be laughing as I'm showing just how horrible the experience actually was. Um, and so our thought was, how could we get games to appear instantly? And that required the cloud. And so we started building servers and doing deals to try to get access to the cloud at, at scale. And, um, and we ended up getting games um, loading instantaneously because they're already effectively running in the cloud. Um, mm -hmm. And so, that turned out to be really quite exciting. It 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 became clear that we had our, our sort of internal vision was everything everywhere instantly. If you can have movies everywhere and music everywhere, why can't you have games? How many games do you want instantly? All of them. So so what would be the infrastructure that would allow that to occur? And we built that. And um, and then uh, long story short, Sony ended up acquiring the company and um, I'm building it into the PlayStation. Today it's called PlayStation Now. 
and they mm -hmm. have millions of people paying for that service. Um, but but that idea of sort of um, of making things more accessible, I still think honestly it, there should be a lot more of it. If I want to try out, we did a test with Adobe to put Photoshop on Adobe.com with one click, and it just appears the full Adobe Photoshop. Um, why isn't everything like that today? It's kind of frustrating <laughs> to me now. We've proved you can do it. And we've actually also proved that you can do it with no latency. So there's no, it feels just like it's running on your computer. And so why isn't everything like that today? It's kind of surprising to me. Well, that's a, there's so many different fascinating things. And I think today is even one of those things coming from the gaming industry over, I'm sure you are already aware that Microsoft is buying the Call of Duty uh, uh, studio. And again, we're talking about how much money is out there in the gaming world looking to, in a form of commerce, I should say. Um, the CEO announced today that I believe $68.7 billion, that's billion with a B, that they're buying that deal to expand into, again, metaverse, but also online gaming to, to bring it all in-house and to really showcase where the evolution of this industry is going but like i said it's acquiring it's it's building out this infrastructure that it's there's not a disc anymore to put into your uh to put into your hardware and to run it and to download the amount of you know data it is to run these these video games and it's really fascinating that it, i mean nintendo's working on it how to at scale build beautiful games now and to get in front of the consumers without this kind of these barriers if you will and I, and that's where i'm seeing this trend that you're talking about david was all these different kinds of problems that you're having is how do we take away those barriers how do we put it in front of people quicker and make that that instant consumership happen at a moment's notice when they want to opt into that service that game that platform and i'm assuming that's where that jump to e-commerce made a natural fit for you am i correct yeah yeah we it's it's funny because we did um we, we proved all kinds of things. We put World of Warcraft on an iPad and I, I immediately got a cease and desist <laughs> from, from Blizzard. Like, what are you thinking? But yeah, no, I know all those guys. They've been in the industry forever. Bobby Kotek is now going to be, the CEO is going to be so wealthy. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if he gets into building rockets with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Is that his next thing? <laughs> I don't know. Richard Branson's doing it, right? That's the next thing it seems like nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that thing too. Um, with the acquisition, is that is that something that I'm I'm curious from the video game side? Is that is that something that had to be done in order to instead of buying the rights and licensing? I'm assuming that's where the natural business comes into play. The licensing happens, and the, this explosion of licensing for these games of we want it available on our platform. It just makes natural more business sense in that regards to buy it acquire it, build an in-house and then license from internally. Is that, is that Microsoft's play? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that in that regards. Is that a, why are more companies bringing it more in-house? There's an interesting sort of concept, which is if you're a mega company um, and if you give the market good news that you just made a smart investment and the value of your company moves up at all, like just at all, you get the, the acquisition for free um, because you know that 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 as your value moves up even one percent, the 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 amount of money that covers because they're at two point, I believe their market cap today is two point three um, trillion dollars. Remember that, right? So it's it's a 
you know, when you're dealing with a really big fish like that, um, these numbers can get out of control. Like they could, the numbers get astronomical. I used to think eight trillion for Skype was a lot, but um, sixty-nine, or six, sorry, eight billion, uh, and and uh, sixty-nine billion is a lot. But in reality, um, there's a bit of a chess game going on. If you're if you're wanting to control the content that that goes in your platform, or you're at all concerned that that content may get bought by somebody else. Sometimes it's safer just to get it under your control. That the stock market, as you know, has grown a lot um, over the last years, and so you know, using some of that that sort of enterprise value that that Microsoft has to to control and um, capture assets like Activision to me seems pretty damn smart. Um, and you know, the question is, is who's going to get Electronic Arts? Right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And EA, obviously, with a bunch of different, I'm trying to think of all the, the whole library that they have at their disposal, which is, again, Madden, you have the whole sporting oh, game yeah. community. I don't think FIFA might be under the umbrella, which is a huge international game. Um, but again, I think you're how I see them, and again, outside of the gaming world, I look at the cross functionality of where commerce is happening, where business, and that's what we talk about on the show all the time is where people are spending their their money, their effort, where business is happening. You see in the likes of Twitch, which is owned obviously by Amazon. Um, Amazon saw that as a live streaming platform worth acquiring, how live streaming is going to be the the future of commerce. When you have people who are playing and their 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 fans are making donations through uh, different platforms, they're getting sponsors from different platforms, the e-gaming community continues to grow in that context, how does that naturally, in your minds, simply, simply after you sold your business to Sony, what, what was that transition like to the e-commerce world? Was it was it surprising? Was it, hey, th there's a lot more opportunity? What, what was that natural evolution from gaming over to e-commerce? Because not totally the same, but very similar parallels, if, you, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so imagine I'm in the game industry for 30 years and I, I bought and sold multiple companies, but I, my goal was to um, retire and I built an unbelievable man cave. It's like, um, it's got all this, you know, CNC woodworking, 3d printing, welding, photography studio, the whole you have thing. You so, pictures, man. That sounds yeah, awesome. <laughs> it's off the charts. So I built this space and it took a lot of effort um and it's all it, it's so funny it's full of lumber and the lumber the the cost of lumber has gone up so much <laughs> it's hilarious it's probably a good investment uh but long long story short i got this this great space and i found myself when i was i, I got into photography and i took a lot of courses with with great photographers trying to learn by the way i love that when you get some guy who's been doing something for 30 years and then they spend three or four days with you and download 30 years of their best tips that I can't believe. There's so many people out there willing to, to do that and share their information that's so valuable. Um, so I love that. But I was doing photography and I found that in general, you know, people didn't really care about my pictures. But whenever I took photos of social media influencers, then people would go kind of crazy because they love this person. And um, and there was this sort of a pivotal, pivotal thing for me as I went to see um, Ed Sheeran in concert at the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles. And it's a huge, huge stadium. Um, and when you look around, the people are, are like tiny. There's just it's just a sea of people. And and I'm watching this going, wow, look how powerful this guy is. Like he can get this many people, uh, you know, to, to, to give him attention. And then I then I was in my studio one day. 
And so I had some influencers and I, I sort of did a quick count of how many followers they have and they had 15 million between them. And I'm like, the Rose Bowl is about 60,000 people and, and you can only do those concerts once, once in a while. The, these kids here have 15 million followers that they speak to daily. And, you know, so I started to ask them, you know, what's it like being an influencer? And they said, well, it's actually not that great because we're constantly getting harassed by brands that we have no idea who they are. And they want us to tell our audience that they're the best candles ever, but I don't even use candles. And so it's, it's kind of frustrating. Um, and so you can imagine I'm listening going, damn, there's got to be a way to connect them to the brands that they like. There's got to be a way to do that. And so then I was um, helping students in an entrepreneurial class. I was the investor and there was an entrepreneur there. Uh, his name's Jason Goldberg. And we, we ended up in this room. He was talking about influencers and he built an app to try to help brands and influencers find each other. Not, not in the form of hassling each other, like, like DMing them and then troubling them. They would actually sort of choose. Or like a matchmaking solution. Yeah. yeah, like a dating app for influencers and brands. And, um, and I was very interested in that. And so we ended up having a separate meeting and he ended up saying, would you like to, to, to be the CEO and let's, let's really go for this. And so we started building the technology and, um, and the concept was literally just, is there some way that we can help the brands work out, um, which influencers like their, like their company. And we built tech to do that. And, um, you know, as you wouldn't be surprised, but there's brands out there with influencers, you know, thousands and thousands of influencers that, that, that are totally into their brand. And we then put them together. The response from the influencer is, oh my God, I love your brand. Uh, I've been buying your products for years, right? So, so that, that to us felt like a very authentic and real thing to do, like to try to authentically put the influencers and the brands together. Um, and uh, as you know, attention is the most expensive thing for brands to try i mean i've never met a brand that said you know we please no more attention we've we got far too much attention that never happens so they're constantly paying facebook and google um for for traffic but everyone's paying facebook and google for the same traffic like all these brands are just paying over and over and over to get the clicks to come to their website so we started to think about um we uh, with our network, which is currently, you know, around 30,000 brands, it's a lot. Um, we started to look at how much traffic they have anyway. So what is their combined traffic in it? And it, and it fluctuates between three to 400 million um, visitors every month. And so we're like, well, hold on. If you have three or 400 million visitors a month, why don't we find a way for them to, to share that with each other? Because if they do, the efficiency in the network would become unbelievable. Um, and so we started to think about, well, what could they do with each other and and one of the things that we we, we thought would be important would be cross-selling and cross-selling simply means that their inventory becomes your inventory so today if you're a bicycle store and you're selling helmets um uh, or let's say you're not selling helmets then that's bad because you're missing out on the helmet sale they're going to go buy that somewhere else um you know they'll open up another tab and go buy that helmet but in this scenario we're saying well, why don't you partner with an, with an actual helmet company and we'll take all their helmets and put them in your store. So what happens is then you're not actually having to guess which helmets are going to sell. You're not just choosing two or three colors and buying certain, the obvious sizes. Now you have all the sizes and all the colors and you don't have to pay for any of this inventory because it's just data. We just take the data and put it into your store and now you can sell those helmets. 
And so that's an interesting concept because now you've got virtual wholesale, um, Great. virtual inventory. Um, everything's instant. Like you can have all the helmets and all the colors today. Um, you don't have to ship things around. Moving products around, like from one warehouse to another, storing them, insuring them, freight, it's all wasted margin. And margin is everything. So, you know, if we can help you get attention and, you know, take away your actual cost of goods, meaning you're not having to pay upfront for anything. Um, and then you're also saving margin on all this transferring and storage. It means you can start trying products. You can experiment, you can grow your brand. And um, of course, the, the you know, the, the bike company that got the helmets comes back and says, do you have gloves? Um, do you have bike locks? Do you have lights? Do you have t-shirts? Of course we do. And, and, uh, and they can have all of those without any cost. And so, that that's network efficiency and to me that's really you can imagine that to me is exciting i'm i'm like right. so so what we have to do though is we have to explain to brands that it's not obvious to them but brands are actually tastemakers and they don't see it that way so um i'll talk to a brand who makes frozen baby food and they think they're in the frozen baby food business and they can't can't imagine anything other than just another flavor of baby food, right? It's just, that's their world, that's who they are, and they just can't imagine. But in reality, brands are becoming, in a way, influencers too. They're actually, um, when people look at the picture of, of some baby on, on some cool chair with a nice bib on, eating the food with cool cutlery, you can bet there's mothers going, where's that, what's that chair called? What brand is that? That's the coolest chair I've ever seen. Or I love that bib, that bib's amazing. I wonder, and they off they go on Amazon and start trying to find the bib, right? And it's like, guys, you need to start realizing that you're, you're creating um, these experiences that people want for their kids. I saw this lady who did spaghetti. And again, singular track, we just make spaghetti, that's it. And we do different kinds of spaghetti. Um, but her website had the most beautiful pictures of how to how the, the, the spaghetti meals were being presented. And that's the lifestyle people want. They want that experience. I want that dinner. It's not just the spaghetti. I want that, you know, that whole, the way she laid out her plates and the cutlery and everything else. But, but they never, ever think of selling anything other than just the, the one thing they make. And, and so that's something that we're trying to, to break through to brands. And then there's another side, which is kind of interesting, is the influencer piece is stunningly, and this is shocking, that 99% of influencers don't know who they influence. Uh, and, and that's like, hold on, wait, what? Because um, a lot of them don't have managers, so therefore they're not really thinking about this. They're sending affiliate clicks, uh, and they've been doing it for years to different places, but they don't actually have any customers. So um, they are effectively the retailer because they're actually selling things they're getting someone to to desire it and want it and actually purchase it but the purchase happens somewhere else and someone else keeps the customer and they've been doing it for years so imagine you're amazing at selling electric bikes um, and you've been sending all the clicks somewhere else if if you have your own store and you put the electric bikes in your store um, now they're your customers and every single sale is your customer then you can go to the next electric bike company and say, look, I have 100,000 people that have bought electric bikes based on, on my recommendation. Website, yeah, exactly. Would you like to be in my store? And they will fight. They will literally fight 
other electric bike companies to be the, the one that you recommend in your store. And so this is really the future of influencing. And it's, it's something that, of course, the biggest influencers do this. Of course, they all, the Kim Kardashians and everyone, they have their own customers. And they're building a, a, a really, you know, besides their own brand, they're building real enterprise value in, in the, the assets that they're generating. And, the, the, and again, you have to have customers. And so what I'm finding, I mean, again, I'm new to e-commerce. So, you know, who am I to be, to be sort of, sort of pointing and saying there's, there's room for operation here, but I see nothing but opportunity. Every direction that I look in e-commerce, there's opportunity. And, um, and so helping the influencers is, is without doubt an, a huge opportunity because these people want to do this professionally for the rest of their lives. They absolutely love what they do but it's just not that easy for them to uh to build stores and to 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 do any of that stuff and so that's that's where caro can definitely help but but at the moment um our big focus is is this cross-selling piece because um during covid brands really needed as much revenue as they could generate because they were getting a lot of returns from retail so retail just shut down they started getting sent stuff back and they needed to really rev up their online business. And so that's why we, we put all of our engineering team on trying to, to get the cross-selling piece working as quickly as possible. Um, but, but you know, the continued operations that we're doing and all the, the, the features we're, we're, we're adding, we're constantly thinking about how, how we can help with attention and sales. Those are the two um, key pieces that I think brands really appreciate the help with. Well, I think there's there's so many great things that I can take from that and see and see where you guys are really bringing true value to businesses, not just on Amazon, but like off of Amazon. This reminds me a lot of the frequently buy buy section on an Amazon functionality, but you're taking it as a rented space approach of hey, we have space where you can put your products on our you know our visibility of our website. That purchase, I'm assuming, is shared between Caro the website and then the person who has the inventory. So it makes yeah. sense amongst all three of those platforms. And maybe there's a th fourth or fifth one that I'm not thinking about right now, but just the concept of, like you said, building up traffic where the purchase is being made, empowering that influencer instead of sending off site to Amazon or to a different website or not utilizing that own resource that, that influence, if you will, to, build and stay within their own ecosystem. Super fascinating, but then also pointing in that direction, that marketplace value of, hey, let's work and cross collaborate together. I didn't know that brand was looking for influence or I love that product. Let me speak on that behalf. Like you said, I think it's a very cumbersome approach. I think a lot of people and brands are looking for nowadays of finding the micro influencers where it doesn't cost a lot of, hey, love your you know, lifestyle photography, love the vision, the brand that you're creating, just wanted to send a product your way with no strings attached and, and really just try to get in front of you to see if that was something um, that you'd be interested in. And we've had previous podcast episodes of, I believe, Kinship of, hey, almost the sow, uh, sow your field basically with different kinds of seeds and cultivate what grows obviously from that sewing approach, but this is more a tactical approach. I think of that, that stitching those, those, uh, you know, those companies and those influencers together and more of a tech approach instead of, uh, all the general process and then the growing in the field process. So, which is super fascinating, at least for myself, where, do, where does this go, David? I think like 
for this, I think that you're building that true network of don't be many and by yourself be, be many, but together in a marketplace. Is that where this continues to go in your mind or where did it? Yeah. Our, our, tag, our tagline is simple. Sell more together. Um, together is the most important piece of this. And um, with influencers, today when they send those affiliate clicks off somewhere they get paid like amazon will will pay them maybe three to five percent depending on the product category that they're in and that's not great um if they're the actual retailer they they generally get around 30 percent plus um for for selling things that's 10 times what they earn today just by repositioning who they are like we i'm actually going to have my own store and you can partner with me now i'm a retailer so I want the retailer cut. I am not an ambassador that's just that's just sending you all my customers. That's that's not a great deal for influencers. So that's one piece of it. Another one which I think is kind of interesting is is Amazon FBA store owners um, because those people are killing it. They're doing a great job. They've really they've really worked out how to use the Amazon platform to make money. They found the niches. They found the best ways to source products modify products, import products. They've done all this work. But at the end of the day, um, my concern for them is in a way they're, they're getting that influencer treatment on Amazon. So they're actually in a way, I would call them FBA, F, um, FBA influencers because they're somehow building and, and, and trying to get these uh, brands going on, on Amazon, but Amazon owns all the customers. And so at the end of the day, Amazon is going to decide ultimately how you how you do and how you perform on their platform and and i had a slide which i used to um, have in my presentation uh which was just just something that that, that kind of shocked me honestly was i saw um you know you know when you have a piece of leather and you want to stamp a letter a into it you have a little leather stamp that you hit with a hammer um or, or you press it in um, right amazon has leather stamps the Amazon leather stamps, like they've actually got to that category. And mm. so what, what I would say to people is, is if they're already at leather stamps, how, how safe do you feel in your category that they're not gonna come and build a private label and, and enter your space? And when they do, Amazon comes in with a lower cost product and, and they are able to, to, to make that product based upon the reviews that are um, that are for all the you know the competing uh, the competing products, and so at the end of the day they're making you know good quality products. They're very low price, and um, and they enter your category. And so at some point, the, the thought was, well, imagine you decided, well, you know, I, I'm, my sales have dramatically reduced. I'm going to go and build my own brand off Amazon. Well, you know what? You're going to be starting on the cold internet with no customers, and you're going to have to start buying your traffic. Um, just like everybody else and try to build from, from scratch. And so that was one of the concepts with Caro as well. Is there a, is there a way we can sort of build this, this, this collective or network of brands that would welcome in um, new brands um, as, as they, as they uh, get started? And so that's something that we've been putting a lot of thought in how to do that. Um, and, and this is just ongoing tech that we'll be building in, in over the next 12 months. But the idea is to, is to sort of, have this place where other people, as they realize, mm, I'd really like to own my own customers. I think my company is going to be more valuable in the long run if I have uh, built, you know, my own entity. 
um, instead of being, it's like being a store on, on Etsy is fantastic, but you actually don't own those customers. Um, so the so the enterprise value of your store will never be what it could be if you were, you know, Nike or Adidas and you're building it off uh, and, and actually, you know, building your own customer um, bases. Actually, that's not the best example because they do go through <laughs> retail a lot. But you get my point. Right. They, the, 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 the fashion novas and people like that who are actually, you know, really killing it online. Um, right. But those kind of people. But well, there's a great there's a great point you made in that regards of you don't own your customer if you're on Amazon. It's a marketplace that you're renting space, you're standing out to a customer. The transaction happens, you do get a kickback, but again, the fees go to Amazon. There's uh, you don't get the customer in that regards, the information that you once used to be able to capture, they've gone away with it. I know they're trying to build more towards brands, offering live streaming, offering follow my brand, really want people to start building up that functionality of it. But again, I think the point of which every Amazon seller, third-party seller would want to do is be omni-channel, be not dependent on one piece yes. of this revenue stream. We saw it in early 2020 as people were selling, they were not allowed to put inventory into FP warehousing. Again, pros and cons to being a third-party seller on Amazon, as we all know. But in this facet, I, I like the notion of what a lot of third-party brands are very cautious of and very it, it, it's hard to conceptualize of how do I build traffic from zero up to where I need to be to be competitive, to grow, to to build that out. And I think that that half step, it sounds like that's what Kara is really shooting for is let us not help you go from zero to Amazon numbers. It's, hey, we can introduce your products quickly into all of our marketplaces of people who, who might again, opt into your brands and products, and you can tap into those audiences. Like you said, it's a collective of hundreds of millions of people. That's amazing. But I'm assuming you want to still target people, still go after that subset, if you will, and and really collaborate on that approach. Is there, um, so so in that regard, is, is, is that really the model? And instead of people going to Amazon, it's easy to ship and, uh, and get your products in two days. Is there other benefits that we're not really talking about in terms of what Caro and kind of this network that is building out in that regards? Yeah, um, I mean, step one is is just that that general concept of you want to own your own customers. Um, I do think omni-channel though is important, so don't get me wrong. I think um, I think different ways to sell um, and trying to think about how you can sell everywhere um, is still important. So social media, social commerce. Um, you know, directly in uh, in in places like Amazon, it's all cool. They're all they're all different um, channels for sales, but I think that the fundamental center of the universe um, for brands and for influencers, who frankly are brands, um, brands seem to think that influencers are billboards. They're not billboards. They're brands, and very commonly, an influencer's brand is bigger than the brand that's trying to 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 book them. So you'll get some belt company bossing around an influencer that's much bigger than the belt company. Um, and so once they start to realize they're actually working with other brands, then you can see how that starts to become more of a real network because they're all they're all in a way equal um, and they all can cross sell with each other and collaborate in different ways. Um, so one, you know, you can choose to be a supplier or, or, a, or a retailer or both. 
Um, you can bring in your own products. You can add, augment with extra products. Um, you can even add services. So the kind of things that we're working on um, is uh, we've launched bundles now. So you can create a bundle of products from different brands and even put a, a, a celebrity name on it. You could have Mariah Carey's skincare bundle um, and she could choose um, whatever her skincare regime is. And, and then that becomes a whole new SKU that can be pushed out into the network. You could create um, an experience. There's one, um, uh, you could have uh, an emergency call with a vet, for example. That could be a new SKU that your company sells. Um, and then you push it out into all the pet stores. And now all the pet stores can sell an emergency call with a vet. And so the amount of um, room for, for innovation in, in bundles and experience, experiences and experiences plus products in, in bundles I think is interesting. Um, it's kind of the Wild West. Uh, you know, when you really start thinking about all the possibilities of, of that, it gets kind of interesting. And the next thing um, which we also um, are testing right now is, is network-based upsell. So today when you, when you buy products, um, you'll see things recommended that are also in that store. So very commonly, you'll buy an electric shaver and it'll recommend electric toothbrush um, because that's you know, what they make or sell. Um, that, that turns out mathematically not to be the highest converting thing that you can put with a shaver. Um, and so in the electric toothbrush example, what we found on that one is the highest converting thing you can put with an electric tooth toothbrush is Kendall Jenner's toothpaste um, from Moon Oral Care. Um, it's a very, very easy add to cart. And so that kind of concept of, of what that becomes is network-based upsell. And, um, and that's something that we've invested into. We believe very strongly in um, why, would you, why would you put something that doesn't convert as well as something that could convert much higher, um, even if it's not your own product, but it's part of the network, um, then, you know, obviously you'll just get more, uh, you'll get more sales, which increases your average order value. Um, and also um, by having more products. So if you sell bikes, but now you have helmets and gloves and locks and scarves and everything else, now you have more products going into the cart on average. So your average order value goes up. And in the world of e-commerce, average order value is, uh, is what unlocks your marketing team. Like that literally you is your unlock for your own marketing is how much you, for, for each person that you can get to come and be a customer, what, how much money do they leave behind? Um, if you can increase that um, at no cost, because you're not actually having to pay for all this inventory um, upfront, um, you can see why having that inventory there for them to choose and add to cart is, is really quite important. And so um, we're, we're sort of embracing the brands that think this way, because the more they add, the more they become that, um, that sort of full brand where it's more like the, the SEO on their, on their store will improve because they have other brands within their brand, if you know what I mean, there's other. And then ultimately if something sells really well, imagine you're a bike store and the helmets are just like, you're almost getting a one-to-one -one match with your sales. Then at some point you may want to um, make your own helmet and, and do maybe even do a, um, a, a white label deal or a gray label deal with the helmet company you've been working with um, so that you can get your branding on that helmet by all means like this is we're not in any way some kind of weird agent or something like that we're not trying to keep people apart if they want to do deals together then it's fantastic 
but we're all of the wiring to make it possible. That, that's really amazing. Point. Well, I, I guess a couple other things, which was that sounds fantastic. My goal is to help eliminate any sort of questions. I guess the one thing I thought, David, of I say I hear consistently, they have to have a warehouse or have their inventory on hand, correct? Of if I'm an Amazon seller and all mine go directly to a fulfillment by Amazon warehouse, is there a way to work with Kara or is there a way to collaborate or pull from the inventory or does one have to have inventory on hand in a warehouse ready to ship via third party or their own um, shipping service? So let's say you're the bike company and you just added helmets. The helmets are actually just the metadata coming from the helmet company. When the order happens, what we actually do is we send the, 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 the bike company will, will accept the money for the helmet, but they, they our, our tech immediately pays the wholesaler or the, the, the helmet company, the wholesale price for that helmet. And then they, they drop the helmet into the mail um, to be fulfilled. So it doesn't that that efficiency of it the helmet never moved until the sale occurred is the most efficient way to do it and then what's going to happen long term is we're currently on the shopify platform and um that, that what, what's going to happen is shopify's investing into warehousing so that they are trying to get closer to the customers wherever they are and they're using ai to determine where to place the products sure. so in the future like where's it all going in the future someday the helmet and the gloves even though they're from separate companies can be placed in the same box and delivered next day that that improves efficiency yet again and so um, for now the way it works is that the the helmet company will be paid um, instantaneously and then they they ship the product and um, gotcha. again the brands um in a way they they're curating and choosing who they want to work with and what and, and you know which partners they really like and, um, and what we also see is them tending to invite other brands onto our platform. So we'll see a brand join and they already know 10 brands they want to work with, but they're not on our platform. So they invite all 10 in and we love that, that you can imagine that's just the best when that happens. Um, but there's no reason any, uh, th these people tend to already know who they want to work with, like what, what products they're excited about and, and, and what they would want to have in their store. So would an ideal, I'm, I'm trying to think too, because there's a lot of companies who, who are these brand advocates. Um, the next thing I start to think about of at scale, not just one, one company with one product, I'm thinking one company brain group, if you will, that's acquiring brands consistently and they want to be in all these places. I would, ne I would next think that you're trying to get in front of those people who have all these different kinds of products that can be a resource to tap into and be available. Like I said, if they're selling on Amazon, but they want to jump into the DSC market, they have those warehousing, they have this network, if you will, of big sellers on the space and Amazon jumping to direct to consumership. This is that way to kind of half step in there. Is that another way to like resource for them to reach out? For example, if you're new to the e-commerce space, like a Thrasia or a Perch or a company of which brand aggregation is happening, they're buying those brands on Amazon or D2C companies. And now they're in charge of those and growing those companies this way i would think that you'd be able to tap into that network and kind of utilize a resource like caro is that is that fair to say is that something that would be a good fit for those companies or is that more wholesaler well, yes. yeah yeah they're under a lot of pressure because there's about 60 companies buying and rolling up um individual stores right now mm -hmm. 
And the, the morning after, they have to actually grow those brands. And so the two things that they want more of is more attention and more sales, right? More attention, more sales. Can never have enough. And so that's what we are all about. Um, and so you can imagine those companies are reaching out. They have two different um, needs. One is, can you just help us grow these brands? And the other one is, can you get them to cross-sell with each other? Because sometimes they roll out multiple brands that are in the same category. So they're actually trying to build um, a category leader. So imagine you buy five different brands that are all um, in a specific space uh, of kitchenware or something. Um, then then they, they can have them cross-sell with each other and uh, and try to grow. So ultimately, they, they're... They, they all have different sort of strategies, but the net result is they all want more, more attention and more sales because that's what they're effectively trying to, to do for their investors is, is by buying these brands, putting them together, they're going to increase network efficiency um, and you know optimize these companies so, so they're not all reinventing the wheel their own way. Um, and yeah, we're more than happy to help. And you can imagine that those, those companies are all reaching out the same with companies reaching out, um, that are super interested in, in investing into, into brands. So that's another thing that, that, that we get asked quite a bit is, you know, are there any brands in your network you think we should invest into or acquire? Um, and so, you know, we, we sort of keep an eye on brands, the ones that, seem to have a lot of energy that people seem to really want to work with. And uh, those would be the ones that we would recommend, you know, like you should seriously look at this company, they're killing it. Um, but overall, um, uh, you know, I think the core piece is, is just, you know, it's, it's, it's addictive, you know, can we get more attention and more sales please? And at the end well, of the day, there's yeah, one other piece, which is, is net profit. Um, that's very important as well. Um, if you are, Sadly, it, it, it's possible to sell product online, but the time you've taken all of your costs, you know, the warehouses and the shipping and, and, and all the rest, when you've, when you've pulled out all of the costs, you know, for logistics and everything and employees and et cetera, et cetera, um, that their, their margins get crushed. So it looked good. They got us, they're getting sales, but by the time they look at their net profit, it's not great. And sometimes it's negative. And so the idea of, of cross-selling means that when you sell that product, um, you're getting paid with no cost of goods um, for that. You're, you're, you're effectively getting the retailer cut. The re retailer cut just goes directly to your net profit. Um, so the, the joke I have with brands is how much more net profit would you like, right? Um, you know, how, much do you wanna, <laughs> how much do you want to add? It's unburdened. So how much would you like? Um, it's kind of a fun conversation. No, that's that's fascinating, and I, I would agree with Marie who who chimed in here on Facebook. Uh, hey guys, great topic. As always, for those who are listening, I think a lot of buzz is creating. At least I have a lot of, you know, I th think there's a lot of applications here, and I think that's not a bad thing. I think that's why you've built this company, and like you said, there's there's a market that's being served in the different ways that they're not being served. For example. Amazon not being able to serve people and build out customer bases and own that data. You're helping stitch those companies together and start to build out lists and branding and just audience in that regard. And I think that's what everyone wants to do is be as many places at once in a grand scheme of things without the one-to-one -one interaction, like me talking to you of, Hey, would you want to work with my brand and go to the next person? That's not time that people have the 
the ability to to achieve that and you're you're kind of that again take everything and pull it all together so it's a lot quicker interaction in that regards um which is super awesome and fascinating in, in my mind david i think for you guys in 2022 what, what's that vision like what's the next step what's in the last couple of minutes i have with you here what's that next focus and achievement that you're working on right now I think the key thing is just like coming from the game industry to e-commerce. I think that the whole point is that this is this is such a wonderful, exciting, open space, and there's so much room to to innovate. Um, our thoughts are are very much around the network and how can we help the community help the community. So you're going to see us putting more and more effort into that. What I realized, I was on the board of the Game Developers Conference for ten years, and, I, and at our Game Developer Conference, which just grew you know, continuously, um, was that people love to share. And, you know, you doing this podcast is a good example. This is something that you're putting effort into, but what you're actually doing is is uh, is is helping sort of spread ideas. And it's incredibly valuable. I used to love going to the TED conference because it was literally, that was the actual goal of the conference was just to spread ideas. And, um, and so I want to try to help our community do that so because someone in our community is an absolute expert on getting your shipping costs down someone is a jedi at getting the best product photography at the lowest cost um someone else is you know some some expert in selling overseas um and we want to sort of unlock that and let those people help each other within the community and so that's something that i we're recruiting right now to try to find um leaders to to handle that but um, that means someday we'll do conferences and and um, awards and all of that kind of stuff that goes with having a community. And so I find that very exciting having having been part of that in the game industry. Amazing. Well, stay tuned. It sounds like a lot more things coming down the pipeline, if you will. Last question, I'm, I'm going to say, I think I know the answer. Are you a PlayStation or an Xbox person? Or is there one that, or maybe Nintendo or something else? Well, coming from the game industry, I actually have to buy everything. So I have that's right, that's true. silly <laughs> amounts of VR headsets and silly amounts of consoles and, you know, going back through time. Um, I even started collecting arcade machines at one point. That was a mistake because that takes up far too much space. Um, oh, my gosh. But, but no, I'm I'm 100% um, um, Sony. Sony acquired my company. So, so say, have, there, David, there, have, there's a natural... Yeah, my loyalty... Answer goes to sony because sony stepped up and um on the other hand do i have a good relationship with microsoft of course i know those guys and um you know i i i think anything that you know that saying you know that the rising tide raises all boats at some point um we uh, you know everything that's going on in the game industry as long as it keeps uh lifting the boats i'm very happy about it so in a way i think it's important that there's a microsoft and it's important that there's a sony it's important that there's a um, uh, a Nintendo, and 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 you'll see more stuff coming um, in the future that um, that I think will keep expanding the space. I keep saying to anybody, if you don't play video games today, you will. <laughs> you well, will. We're gonna get well, you. The, yeah. the industry is <laughs> gonna, gonna find you and get you, and you will play games even though you might not today. Right. I mean, we didn't even touch on mobile gaming. We we were talking about. I mean, we have friends that are called, um, their company is called PicFu. They literally A-B test in the the publishing, the e-commerce, and then the video game industry. So there's these natural overlays in all these different ways of A-B yeah. testing graphics, A-B testing, uh, you know, topics or any any sort of thing that you can kind of compare the two. 
it, it's natural in that regards and we didn't even touch on metaverse today but that's a whole nother like yeah, series gamification <laughs> there's another gamification whole discussion there. gosh so, and, well, anytime you yeah. want to continue the conversation just give me a shout i want to say yeah go ahead for your uh for for the the, the viewers um if anyone has a Shopify store and they'd like to try out Caro, if they go to getcaro.com, you can install. So it's getcaro, C-A-R-R-O.com. Um, then email us at hello at getcaro.com and mention this podcast and uh, we will give you concierge support. So just just literally email them, say that you heard this um, and, uh, and, they'll, and they'll give you all the help that you need. Absolutely. And you saw there, if you're listening to this again, it's linked out in the show notes below, but if you're watching this on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, we linked out in the, sh uh, the descriptions in the comment section as well, how to get in touch with David and his team. And David, obviously we linked out to your, um, LinkedIn profile, just following you, just all the content that you're putting out there is so much, um, knowledge and thank you for sharing just a little bit of that here in my corner of the internet called crossover commerce. Appreciate your time. And, uh, insights today. I like to call people friends of the show. Once they make it through an hour with me, you become a friend of the show. So you're more than welcome to hop on any single time you want to share. Perfect. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. And thank you everyone again for hopping on crossover commerce. Again, episode 205 is in the books. We have more content coming your way this week, just to give you a quick insight on what's coming up later this week. Tomorrow we have repricing and scaling operations with Dylan Carter of Aura. Then we have Aggregator 2022 Trends, Tech Talent and Turbulence. Great. And there was actually a really cool um, introduction, or I should say announcement made by Perch earlier today about hiring their CFO from Amazon directly. And then on Friday, we have customer lifetime value in e-commerce from the team over at OmniConvert. So as you can see, lots of great content always coming from crossover commerce. There should be nothing uh, new to expect if you're new to, uh, if you're, familiar with the show, but that's what my job is, is to bring you valuable insights and information in the Amazon e-commerce place to apply it to your business every single day. That being said, thank you so much, David Perry from uh, Caro and the team there. Go ahead and check them out. I've already been just doing research just on the podcast, just watching their website and great information. You should definitely check it out um, for more information to contact David and his team there. But I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce, episode 205. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode. Take care.